welcome to Parkwood. Hope you got some sermon notes in front of you that look like this. Should have a back and a front. Back there on the table if you don't have it. If you're new with us, let me welcome you and sort of explain to you what we do here as a congregation. Uh, we preach expositionally through books of the Bible. Generally, uh, that's the way we normal, our normal pattern. We've been working through Galatians for every verse. And this is just where we are this morning. And I think God's got a a good word for us. And so Galatians 6, we're going to look at the first five verses this morning of Galatians. And uh, as you stand to your feet in reverence for God's word, let me just remind you of something. And I know you know this, but sometimes um, we need to be reminded of the context. Galatians is written not to an individual, but to the church. It's written to a collective body of the redeemed. And so we need to receive that this morning as God's church. And so to God's church, the Lord gives us a message this morning in Galatians 6, verse 1. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So Lord, as we come to your word... Every one of us comes bearing some kind of burden. Something in our life, or in our friend's life, or in our parents' life, in our children's life that we cannot fix. And it burdens us. Because, Lord, if we could fix it, we would. And so we're burdened, and we're burdened in prayer. Lord, we, we come carrying these things this morning, and you know what they are. What does your church have to do with it? Lord, we need your help. You know in our culture, Lord, you know us. As you know every culture in context that your word is being preached this morning, you know us, you know how much we value our individualism and how it is separating us from each other. So Lord, help us. Help us to know how to apply this word to our actual life. Thank you that you have given us such clarity in your holy word. So, Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. And so to understand the context of this, let's back up just a couple verses. Let's look at verse 25. Galatians 5, verse 25. It says, If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so last week, remember, we talked about the, the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh and, and about this two natures that exist within us that oftentimes is at war within us. Us desiring to glorify God, and yet still oftentimes we find ourselves doing the things that we hate. Sometimes hating the things that we should love. And so there's this war within us. And we've talked about how we are to walk in the Spirit. What it looks like. 
Verses 5, verses 26 really helps us because it brings other people into this. And who is it bringing into? Remember who it's written to. It's written to the churches of Galatia. And it starts saying, let us not be conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So, in other words, is, is Galatians, is God's word generally, but is Galatians 5, let's just take the fruit of the Spirit because we're very familiar with that. Is that simply merely a guide to my individual behavior as a believer? Praise the Lord for His word. Chapter 6 comes after chapter 5. And here it's not letting us simply apply it to myself and my walk and my behavior because it's bringing other people into it. In other words, verses 1 to 5 is describing the necessity of a loving biblical community in our spiritual walk with the Lord. The problem today, with me and with you and with us, is oftentimes I don't want to be messed with and I don't want to get messy. And if we are to do what the Bible is telling us to do and what God will hold us accountable for how we do it and that we do it, it's going to require that we get messy and it's going to require other people to allow them into our lives. This is the problem but listen, the gospel truth. In other words, if you are going to understand anything in this book, you must understand that what God has been doing from the garden is forming a people for His own glory. This is what this book is about. It's about the plan that we just got through singing about. Titus 2.14. Look up that with me. This is not my opinion, brothers and sisters. This is just the whole through God's Word. Adam and Eve broke this in the garden. Christ restored it at the cross. What, was, what is he doing? Talking about Jesus. Verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from, the law, from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. It's not just about my work this morning, my good work, my fruit of the Spirit. It's about ours. Collectively, how do, how do we live in community? Brothers and sisters, first, can we just acknowledge that it is a great gift of God's grace to be part of God's family? Amen? It's a gift. This is why we enjoy this. This is why you can't keep us away from this. One, one time, I might have heard this illustration. A woman walks up to a, to a pastor in a service much like this, and he's, he says... You know, preacher, what we need in this church is more signs and wonders, maybe a few miracles. Something to get people's attention. I want to, I want to see. And so he, the preacher said, well, okay. He said, you see that woman over there? He said, she's a single mom. She's got three kids. She's just been evicted from her house. What kind of sign do you think it would be to her if you let her move into your house for three months? See, that gets to it, doesn't it? The Spirit of God, listen. The Spirit of God works through means. And we, the body of Christ, are that means. So how are we practically to do this? What are the practical responsibilities of living in this family? Both this week and next week we're going to talk about this. 
But first, very simply, look at verse 1. God's family bears one another burdens by doing something, by restoring those within the family that have fallen in sin. Verse 1, brothers, if anyone is called in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So first, notice the context. It's to brothers. This is talking, this is family talk. This is saying, brothers and sisters, if someone in the family is caught, (laughs) you see, they're caught. That's the need for restoration right there. They're caught in a transgression. There's no question. They've been caught. They're within the family. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond? Ignore it. Is that love? Is that love within your family, your immediate family? What What does the Bible say? Well, let's look at James. I love James. James is all about application. One has not accurately preached God's word if he has not applied it to the people that he's speaking to. James knows this, so James gets to this. James 5, 19 says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back the sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. As I thought about this need for restoration, I thought about our dog. His name was Toby. Toby was deaf. I mean completely deaf. You could hit two pots behind him and he wouldn't even wince. So we kept Toby in the backyard because we knew if Toby ever got out and wandered into the woods, we're surrounded by about 50 acres. If he ever got out in those woods, we couldn't call him. He couldn't hear us and one day it happened. Toby got out and got lost in the woods, and we never found Toby. But do you know what I did? Do you know what we did as a family? We walked for miles for that dog. I got my other dog, because I thought, I watched it on the movie, you know, they get a scent and go track it, you know, you had this, maybe he'll lead me right to it, you know, and walked all the way, and listen, when I walk around the block, I'll take you to my house one day, walking around the block's not, not in the neighborhood, it's a long ways. Live at Crowder's Mountain. It's a long way around the block. We walked all over. We walked the woods. We posted on Facebook. We did all this stuff trying to find our dog. You know what? They hit me this week. Am I more concerned about a lost pet than my church family? Quote, if anyone is a Christian, he or she is not independent. We are interdependent. We are a body The whole body of Christ is affected by one another's sin. Your sin always affects others. If you are the one who is being led astray into destructive sin, receive help. It is not only for your good, but for the good of the whole church. There is a need here within the family. And there is a nature of this restoration. In other words, there's a nature to burden bearing. And it looks like this word, this word in verse 1 that says, restore them. That word simply means to put back in order, to repair. It has the picture of setting a bone. Christina broke her elbow one time. and uh, It was a miserable experience for her. It went on for a long time. But when it happened, she was in agony. And so we took her to the doctor. And I told her on the way, I was like, listen, it's not going to be good. That doctor's going to have to set that thing, and it's going to hurt. But it's got to happen. But it was weird. When we went to the doctor, this young doctor, he didn't set it. He put it in a cast, went home. Well, guess what? 
it healed. It healed back wrong. What had to happen? They ended up having to cut her radial head off and replacing it because it wasn't restored. This is what Mark 1.19 It gives us a little clarity of this word, restore. Mark 1.19 It says, and going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats, mending the nets. There's the word, mending. The word mending there is the same word for restore. Why does a fisherman mend his nets? If it's got a rip in it because he went fishing and he caught a lot of fish and the, and the nets ripped and they put them back together. What's the purpose of putting that net back together? It's to catch more fish. You see, that's the purpose. The very nature of this restoration is to put it back in service for the intended purpose it was intended to, which is God's glory in the life of a believer. If they wonder, we do not ignore it. We restore them for the glory of God. This is what Matthew 18 tells us. This wonderful passage that many churches ignore because we don't want to have to practice it. And listen, this text means nothing without the context of the local church. There is no one to apply this to unless it is not applied within a local body. Matthew 18 verse 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. This is first. It's number one. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Verse 16, But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So there is no place in Scripture for this excuse that says, but it's not my business. Not my business what's going on in your life. It's not your business what's going on in mine. Listen, we are a body united by the blood of Christ together into a family. And does that mean that I'm supposed to get my phone and turn the light on and go to Micah and say, all right, brother, it's time for the family inspection. <laughs> Lay it all out. I'm going to go through it all. <laughs> it's not what it's saying. It's saying this sin in this person's life, who I love, who is in my family, it's destroying them, and it's destroying the body, and it's diminishing His glory. And so out of love, I must go to them. I must restore them. My goal is not to fix them. It is to restore them to Christ. To restore them and get them back into service. This means whether it's addictions or whether it's a brother who's working too much and neglecting his family. Whether he's being shady in his business dealings or whether they haven't been in worship for a month, we should be concerned about the problem. Whether it is sin or just burden. How will you know if their marriage is in trouble? How are you going to know? How do we know how to restore? There's a nature to this. And there's a nature that's important to this. It's the nature of the person who is restoring your character matters, you see. It matters because we're part of a body. Look at what it says in verse 1. Second half. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So we see, what do we see first here about the nature, the character of the restorer? We see first it says, you who are spiritual. Well, what does that mean? Here's what it doesn't mean. 
Because remember the whole book we've in context. Remember what remember what Paul has been who he's been attacking as false teachers? It's the Judaizers. It is the Judaizers that thinks they're the super spiritual people. Because they keep the law, because they've been circumcised. They're trying to pull other people into this to say, hey, you're more right before God. You're, you're better if you, if you do this thing, if you add this thing. They are the super spiritual people. Whereas Paul's simply saying what? To be born again is to be indwelled with the Spirit of God. That means that we are, as Christians, all spiritual people. If you do not have the Spirit of God, what does the Bible say? You're none of His. So to be a Christian, 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us, if you just do spiritual things, you've got to be a spiritual person. So this is simply talking about a mature believer. Sure, that's supposed to be your character. That's supposed to be your nature. And listen, more importantly, you must do this gently. Let's do it in a spirit of gentleness. Christ is the only person that we can accurately go to. We don't judge how to be gentle by looking at each other. We're going to see that in a minute in the text. We look at it by looking to Christ. That's why Micah and the praise team led us this morning to look at Christ. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus modeled this for us. We take our lead from Him. He says in verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So gentleness, gentleness simply means meekness. It means mildness. It means that restoration in someone's life is not a switch that you just got to find. It's not a harshness. It is a slow, gentle process that we have to be patient with. Do you see how this makes the fruit of the Spirit come alive? It is we apply it when we live in community with each other. This is how we apply it into our life. It's contrasted, if you want to look up at verse 26, that says, don't be conceited. Don't provoke one another. What does the word provoke mean? It means to irritate. It's that. That's not restoration. That's irritation. Pestering someone to death till they, you get them to look more like you. That's not what, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying this is a process that has to be done gently. And listen, it's also a process that must be done carefully. Why? Because I know me. This is what he's saying. This is why you need to be mature. Because if you don't know your own weakness, it'll be awfully hard to ever restore anybody else. Why? Because your pride. 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 4.16 this is an interesting passage because he's speaking to a pastor here, someone who's already shepherding the church. See, even no matter who you are, there's several things you need to be cautioned about. That's why we have to be careful. Your own pride, this fallen world, and your fallen flesh. Listen to what he says. Keep a watch. Keep a close watch on yourself. Remember, he's talking to Timothy, Paul is. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this for so... For by so doing, you will save both who? Yourself and your hearers. Saying, brother, the first person that needs to hear, that, hear, hear this teaching is you. And you need to be careful when you lean into someone else's life that you don't raise up in your own pride and fall yourself. This is what he's saying. You need to be careful. We must do it, but we must do it carefully. 
How do we do that? We must remember the nature of our restorer, capital R. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, we just got through looking at that, verse 29. Jesus says, come to me, all who are laboring and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen, this will set you free in the, in, the, in the hard work of discipleship, the hard work of restoration. When you understand, not your responsibility or mine to remove someone's guilt and shame. It's not. Only Christ can do that. Only He can. That's so what we got through singing. He, he's the only one that can remove mine, and He's the only one that can remove theirs. What we are given to do here is to weave our lives with each other, to speak gospel clarity to each other, to sacrificially love each other, and to call each other to repentance. This is what we do. And we do it first in the context of the local church. Those we live in community with. You have been restored to restore others for the glory of God. God's family bears burdens by gentle restoration. And listen, God's family just bears burdens. Not every burden is a sin. Verses 2 through 5. Get to verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. This is an imperative. John 16, 33. What is this burden. Because listen, here's the reality. Burdens are a reality. The reality in my life, in your life, we came in with them. We won't get rid of them until we get to glory. John 16.33 I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. This is Jesus speaking. That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is distress. That's what this tribulation means. It, it takes many forms. And none of our burdens necessarily look the same. Sometimes they're mental. Sometimes they're physical. Sometimes they're emotional. Sometimes they're financial. Sometimes they're demonic. Sometimes it's simply a financial crisis or a crisis in our marriage. Or in someone else's marriage. Someone we love. And listen, here's the first truth. We're not self-sufficient. We're not. And we need to hear this as, as the American church. We are not. The greatest reason we treat biblical community as if it's optional is that we think we're self-sufficient. That's why we can feel like we can elect to either be a part of a biblical community or not. But don't we all feel the weight of our burdens? That's, that's subjective. We all feel them. We're all carrying them this morning. So what do we do? How do we point people? How do we help people in this process? First, we must understand Christ is the burden bearer. 1 Peter 5, 7. This is the best burden bearing you can help somebody with. It's to point them to Scripture that says, First, Let's get first things first. I'm not God. I can't bear it. I can't, I can't remove the guilt and the shame of your sin or the sin of someone's done to you. Only Christ can. So cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Psalms 55.22 says the first person we cast our burdens on is the Lord. So before, the greatest discipleship you're going to help other people is to help them understand we must first lament to God. 
Whatever filters through that lament, now let's sit down and talk about it. The first person we must get them to do is to lean on the Lord, lest we become their little Lord. We must say, cast your burdens on the Lord. But then we realize that neither them nor us is self-sufficient. Moses realized it. Exodus 18, verse 17. You remember this confrontation that had between Moses and his father-in-law? Verse 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the, you and the people with all with you will certainly wear yourself out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Praise the Lord for Moses' father-in-law, right? Who loved him enough to do what? Confront him. Brother, you are not self-sufficient. You might think you are. (laughs) But you're just going to burn yourself out and therefore hurt God's people. So what did he do? He he led him to, to make leadership plural. To have people where they can come to multiple people. See, he knew he wasn't self-sufficient. Paul knew he wasn't self-sufficient. 2 Corinthians 7, 5, and 6, they wanted wanted him to lean on Titus. This is all through his scripture. He was always waiting for somebody or looking for somebody. Paul knew he wasn't self-sufficient. And he also knows the church must not be. I've been personally studying through Colossians and was been really blessed by it and some of these passages can't, have just risen up and hit me right in the face. Colossians 2, verse 1 and 2 is one of those passages. I want you to see the heart of Paul. Hear it. For I want you to know, Colossians 2, verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all those who have not seen me face to face. Verse 2, listen. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the rich and full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is in Christ. So the question in this text for you is do you desire to reach full assurance and understanding and know Christ? If the answer is yes, there's, there's one imperative here that you must hear this morning. You must be in biblical community. This is how we grow. We knit ourselves together. We sew ourselves into the very fabric of each other's life. And we grow and we grow together. And when we hurt, we hurt together. This is the beauty of being a believer. Whether you have a really good family or whether you've got a really rotten one, when you get Christ, you get us all. With all of our burdens and with your burdens. And we knit ourselves together in love Verse 2, this is a command for believers. This is not optional. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, biblically, biblically to love is to carry each other's burdens. In other words, if I'm not carrying your burdens, I'm not biblically loving you. And if you're not letting me, then you're not allowing yourself to be biblically loved whether it's stumbling in sin or whether it's simply carrying the hard things of this life, we are meant to carry it together, to confront and love together and to grow together, to bring glory to God and do it together. This is how we fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 2, what is the law of Christ? What's he saying? Some kind of rigid, hard, hit us in the back with a stick or something if we don't do it. What is, what is that? 
Well, look at, let's look at John. Jesus answered that question. John 13, 34. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So what is the law of Christ? you see it? To love one another as Christ loves us. That's how we fulfill it. In other words, you see, this is over and over. You cannot fulfill the love of Christ if you don't live in community. Because the very nature of it is a self-giving love. A love that labors for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. Do you see it? That's why we, that's our vision statement for a reason because that's what Scripture says. There's an enemy here. There's an enemy to it. And he's not primarily out there. The enemy to burden bearer is in here. And you know what it is? Verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. The greatest enemy of burden bearing within the local body of Christ is our pride. It's our pride. You see, if I'm not putting myself in a place to carry others' burdens, I've got to ask myself, why? Why am I not putting myself in that place? If the Bible tells me that I must, this is the purpose of my life, why am I not doing it? It Could it be? Look at the text. Could it be that I think I'm above stooping down to help a brother or sister? Because if that is, that's pride. What does it say about that? It says, if that's you, you are deceived. Why? Because here's what a humble Christian knows. Tomorrow, it could be me. Tomorrow, that could be me. Tomorrow, that could be me. Today, it's their parent that has cancer. Tomorrow, it could be my father that has cancer. To, today, that person just lost their spouse. Tomorrow, it could be me who's lost my spouse. Yesterday, they fell in sin. Next week, it might be me. And who will be there to bear the burden? God says it's you. We are the church. And it is simply pride that keeps it from happening. Self-sufficiency is simply pride wrapped up in American idea of independence. And it has no place in the local body of Christ. We are not independent. We are interdependent. We are not self-sufficient. We are dependent on each other because Christ designed it that way. That my, Christ, my growth in Christ depends on my relationship with Him and my connection to you. This is good news. But here's another warning. Stop comparing yourselves to each other. This is what pride causes. This is the greatest division within the local body of Christ. This superficiality that is afraid to let someone in because we are too busy judging each other by ourselves. Christ says we judge ourselves by the law of Christ. And that keeps us all humble. We measure our maturity not by Aaron, not by Micah, not by Stephen. We measure it by Christ. That's humbling, isn't it? <laughs> That keeps us humble, keeps us on our knees, it keeps us repenting. And so we can lean into each other's life and love. 
and we can simply hold each other up when some days we just can't hold ourselves up. This is the purpose of the church. And yet there is a warning here. Paul wants to make sure that we understand something this week and next week. There's a final judgment that is coming. And our responsibility before God cannot be ignored and it cannot be transferred. For each one will have to bear his own load. This is not talking about something in the temporal. It is pointing toward that day. You know, that day in Scripture is a day that's coming. It is the final judgment. And the Bible is clear. What God has given us to do as believers, we will stand before Him and give account to Him for what He has given us to do. Romans 14.12 says, So then each of us will give account of himself to God. And so there will be no place on the judgment day that says, You didn't help me good enough, and so it's half your fault. He's saying, No, no. We have a responsibility, yes, to each other, but we live in the reality that one day we will answer to God for the things that we have done. And we will answer to Him for the things that we have ignored. We will bear the final load in the future. And listen, that should radically impact how I invest in your life and how you invest in mine. We desire for each other that every person be presented before Christ complete, mature, lacking nothing. This is our purpose. Quote, A delicate balance exists between community and individual responsibility. Those who desperately need help from others may identify themselves as victims and refuse to be accountable for their own behavior. We may have become so focused on community life that we forget about our own lives and decisions. And so as the Bible so clearly does and how it so well does, it puts community in tension to understand you began your faith with an individual response to God for your sin and one day we will stand before God for what God handed you and said, you do this for my glory. So how do we do it? So what? I thought about the so what. I, can't, I, I remembered that, started thinking about where did all this begin? Where did all this problem with, why is this so hard? You feel the heart of community? If you haven't, you haven't tried it. <laughs> it's the heart of family. It's the heart of marriage. You know it's hard to have a healthy marriage. It's really hard. Why is that? Because we had a really nice community in the garden and something got broke. Right? And we've been struggling with community and relationships ever since. It was broken in the garden. It was fixed on the cross. But do you remember what happened after the garden? Cain and Abel happened. This family division because of what? Because of pride. Don't you tell me what I'm supposed to do. So we raised up one day and killed Cain, killed his brother, and God came. Where is Abel? What you asking me for? Am I my brother's keeper? He's a big boy. He can answer for himself. So, how do we not act like that? How do we act like 
It's none of my business. I got a pretty good family. You know, you might have a pretty good family, but the person sitting next to you might not. So how do we live in biblical community? You see, God's word comes off the page. The truth is, is something we cannot argue with. We simply let God's word come up and then we push it off into our lives, right? So how are we going to apply it? What is, where do we as Parkwood practically practice biblical community? Where do we restore broken brothers and sisters in sin? Where do we know the burdens of each other so that we can lift them up? How do we as Parkwood apply this? If we're going to stand before the Lord one day and give an account, we need to have a means by which we obey. We're going to get to know people so I can help them carry their burdens. Who is it that I take to coffee and say, you know, I'm just concerned? Who did I call last week? Says, I woke up thinking and praying for you. Can we get coffee? Where, who, how? We have a simple way to begin to experience biblical community, and we call it growth group. And listen, vision is important for the future. And you need to hear me clearly. Growth group is not another program. It's not. Growth group is the primary means that we have as a church to put you around a small group of people. To study God's word together. To love each other. To care for each other. To disciple each other. And to care each other's burdens. You've got to hear me this morning. Ephesians 4 verse 11 says that He gave to the apostles, to the prophets, to the pastors and the teachers... The job, God gave it to him. Christ says, I give you the responsibility to equip the saints. And I give to the saints the responsibility to carry out the work of ministry. And neither of us can ignore that. And neither of us can bury it under the sand. And not think one day we will give an account of what we did with what God gave to us. I carry that burden. It's, it's a good burden to carry. And every growth group teacher carries it. We must equip the saints. And the saints must carry out the work of ministry. This is the means. We have two simple means that we are seeking to obey the Lord and His command in our life and equipping you to obey the command on your life. It is what we are experiencing now. It is a collective worship gathering where we come together where we sing the gospel together, where we hear from God's word, and then we scatter into our communities, where we gather together in small groups to talk about the word that was preached, to apply it into our life, and to bear each other's burdens together. So here's a question. I say this gently and in love. I just say it because, we've, because of what God has said. What would we call it exactly? If we neglect or treat either of these as optional, what would we call it? Would we call it obedience or disobedience? What would we call it? Righteousness or unrighteousness? Selflessness or selfishness? Preparedness or unpreparedness? If we as a Parkwood family would get this this morning, if we would in unity come together and prioritize biblical community growth group into our lives, we will see the work of ministry explode in this our town and in this our nation. This is not 
optional. Biblical community, according to God's Word, is not optional for a believer. It is God's revealed will for your life and for mine. So then, will you join us by faith in living this out? Our imperfect, broken, messed up lives that are woven together, covered by the righteousness of Christ, so that we might all grow together. Whether it is here or whether it is somewhere else, God wills for you to live life inside a biblical community. And I, we desire it. And hear this pastor's heart this morning. I desire it for you. I've experienced the benefit of simple obedience to what God has said. So listen to his word. Colossians 3 verse 12. Brothers and sisters, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. God, this is your word. We didn't, we're not saying this. So Lord, we, we ask you, Lord, would you give us perfect harmony? Lord, we long every person to be complete in Christ. Lord, I don't want anybody walking alone carrying their burdens by themselves who claim your name, who are united in your family to walk on alone. God, may it not be so here. God, give us a spirit of brokenness. That we are not self-sufficient. We need you. And we need each other. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for that beautiful picture. And I am not just a little hand or a little pinky or a little part of the body off somewhere by myself trying to make it happen. You have brought me into a body and she is beautiful. She is precious. You purchased her with the blood of your son. And so Lord, may we give our lives to present your bride beautiful, united, complete so that one day They will stand before your throne with one voice and they will sing worthy is the Lamb. So Lord, let us choose today that we will not wait. We will do it now. We will with one voice worship you now. So Lord, as we stand to our feet, would you receive our worship? you alone are worthy of it and you are the only one that we will give it to and so Lord we thank you for your unconditional sacrificial love of giving your only begotten son so that we may know you bring us all to our feet now and to our knees if we need to 
but restore us to yourself, to your church. For your glory we pray now in Jesus' name. Stand with us and let's worship.